Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Christ Community Church. How are you guys doing? Good. Happy Palm Sunday weekend to you. Don't you love a story like that of people who have walked with Jesus for years? Like enough to put your hands together even? Wow. That is so, that is such an inspiration to those of us who are relative children. That was a joke, okay? So, I am preaching this weekend in St. Charles on Saturday night, and I'm preaching this weekend in DeKalb uh, live on Sunday morning. So this is wonderful, but we welcome the congregations in Streamwood and in Aurora as well. Let's pray together and ask God to be our teacher. Would you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the example of people who walk with you a long time. They're, they're kind of pace setters for us. They're role models. And as we look into your word right now, I pray that you would be our teacher. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Sue and I got married many years ago at the beginning of December. And then we moved into this tiny little home that we rented from a former college professor, a two-bedroom bungalow. And uh, I am I'm a romantic when it comes to the Christmas season. And so the first thing we did is we went out and bought ourselves a live Christmas tree and we brought it home and we put on decorations, we put on the lights and, and whatever. And this was our first tree in our first home in the first year of married life, first month of married life. Actually, it ended up being much more than the first month in December. We kept the tree up through February. I said, I'm an incurable romantic in this regard. And, you know, I don't know, it never dawned on us that this tree had been cut down some many months before. You know, how long does a tree last when it's severed from its root system and its source of life, right? I mean, how long had that tree been dying? So we kept it up post-Valentine's Day, and then we decided, you know, maybe we ought to take this sucker down. So we took off the ornaments and we took off the lights. And then I had a brilliant idea. I said, I know how we can dispose of this thing. Uh, There was a wood-burning stove in this tiny little house. We'll just push the tree into the wood-burning stove. Now, how many of you know this is not a good idea with an extremely brittle, very dried up, severed from its roots, roots Christmas tree? So the adrenaline still gets pumping in my body when I relive this event. And I think of how close we came to burning down the house and us in it. I mean, it was just swoosh from the moment the tippy top of the tree hit the flame. What Jesus once said, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And he said, you know, you could either be a a branch that is connected to me or a branch that is disconnected from me. And if you're disconnected from me, then you will become spiritually dry and brittle. And one day, 
You'll be thrown into the fire. Cut off and thrown into the fire. Strong words. They're recorded in John chapter 15. I want you to turn with me. If you brought a Bible with you, I hope you did turn to John chapter 15. We are in the sixth week of a seven-part series studying the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Seven I am declarations that he makes about himself. This is a Jesus-focused series as a ramp up to Holy Week. Holy Week is next week. Okay, when we celebrate Good Friday and Easter. In fact, in this series, we're going to culminate the I am series next weekend. The Easter message is, I am the resurrection and the life, the seventh, the big statement that Jesus makes about himself. But today, we're looking at Jesus' audacious claim, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. Now, let me make a few introductory comments about this statement. First, just to put it in its context, its setting. Okay, Jesus made this statement to his closest, his 12 closest followers, just after they had a meal together the night before he was crucified. So what we call the Last Supper. So they were meeting in the upper room of a house on the southwest corner of ancient Jerusalem, and they finished their meal, and afterwards they decided to go to their favorite hangout, a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. So they left this house, and they crossed the city in the dark of night, and they walked across what's called the Kidron Valley, which is not a big valley. It's like a ditch, okay? And they came to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the foot of a hill called the Mount of Olives. It's about, from where they started to where they ended, a 15 to 20-minute walk. Uh, Sue and I have walked it many times. And, and so Jesus, during this walk, is continuing to teach his disciples what they need to know. And he says to them, perhaps out of breath, because maybe they're walking at a good clip. I don't know. But he says, I am the true vine. So let's read this together, okay? We'll put it up on the screen here. It's a relatively short verse, so give it some oomph as you read it. Here we go. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. One more time. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. Now, I've told you about the setting for this statement. Another thing I want to note about this particular I am declaration is that it's the only one of the seven I am's that makes reference to the Heavenly Father as part of the basic imagery. I mean, just after Jesus declares, I am the true vine, he immediately names his father as the vine's caretaker, the, the, the gardener. This is a picture of a close working relationship between father and son. This is another not too subtle claim to deity. Jesus is saying, I'm part of the God team. It's father and son working together here. I'm the vine. My father is the gardener. Okay, enough background information. What are the lessons? What are the major life lessons that we can learn from Jesus' true vine claim? Today, we're going to look at the first eight verses of John chapter 15. So keep your Bible open in front of you and summarize this teaching in the form of three life lessons. We're going to look at a promise, a challenge, and a warning. So if you haven't taken your outline out yet, I encourage you to do so. Follow along, fill it in as, as we go. And just a, just a side note here, as, as we look at... Uh, these three lessons. My wife taught this same material a couple of months ago at the, the women's winter, uh, winter thaw, the retreat, and she got three talks in which to cover this. I've got to do it in one. 
And I just want to say this up front because uh, hundreds of ladies heard her talk and you're probably wondering, why are you listening to me and not her? And the truth of the matter is I try to recruit her to preach this, uh, but she is in Ohio with her dad celebrating his birthday this week and his health is failing and we don't expect him to be with us much longer or she would be teaching this. So as I teach it, those of you, you know, the ladies who heard her uh, teach this, no, it's not as thorough, it's not nearly as brilliant as her talks were, but you're stuck with me. So let's take a look at, uh, first of all, the promise, okay, the promise. As we're reading today's scripture together, let, let me remind you of a basic Bible study uh, tip. Always look for repeating words or phrases in whatever passage you're reading because that will tell you what the emphasis is that God is making in that text. So as we look at verses 1 to 5 of John 15, and then we'll drop down to verse 8, uh, I want you to see if you can identify the repeating word. And I'll emphasize it a little so you'll be able to pick up on it. And we're going we're gonna to read these verses together, so we'll put them on the screen. You read the verses that are in bold with me, and I'll read the verses in between. So we start together. You ready? Uh, you ready? Good. Here we go. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then dropping down to verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what word pops up seven times? Call it out. Fruit. Fruit. So what is the passage all about? The passage is all about Jesus, the true, true vine, bearing fruit in our lives. You know, what does Jesus promise to do for us? Verse 5, let me read it to you again. I am the vine, the true vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Okay, Jesus promises to, to produce fruit in your life, produce fruit in mine. You say, oh, sounds great. Or, or maybe you say, well, what, what, what are we talking about here? What is this fruit that Jesus is going to produce in our lives? Well, when the Bible talks about fruit metaphorically, okay, we're not talking about literal fruit, apples and tangerines and bananas. And what, when, when the New Testament uses fruit metaphorically, it's using it in one of three ways. It's either talking about character transformation or about good works or about gospel impact. So if we remain in Jesus, he will produce fruit in our lives and that fruit will look like one of those three things. So let's take a closer look at, at each of them, starting with character transformation. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote a New Testament epistle to a group of people living in the ancient city of Galatia. And in that letter, he says to them, you know, if you're connected to Jesus, Jesus is going to produce his character fruit in your life. You know, he's going to shape your character. It's going to look like his character. He's going to use his spirit to produce this, this fruit in you. And what, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, if you remain in Jesus, he will produce in you his character. Now, let, let me illustrate how this works, okay? A month or so ago, if you're following our Bible-savvy reading schedule, our daily reading schedule, uh, it took us through the New Testament epistle of Ephesians. So my group, my men's group that meets on uh, Wednesday mornings, eight guys at a coffee shop in St. Charles, uh, all through the week we're jotting down notes as we read, insights for our lives, applications, and so on. So we get together on Wednesday morning at the coffee shop and we share what we've learned. And so when we got to Ephesians 4, verse 29, oh my goodness, did that produce a robust conversation because Ephesians 4, 29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. No unwholesome talk. You're talking to a group of guys, okay? This means, you know, no, no profanity. It means no gossip. It means no sarcastic put-downs. It means no dishonesty. It means no taking God's name in vain. I mean, and so we began to talk about how that's working out in our lives, right? And we we're, pretty, we're pretty open and honest with each other. We were sharing how we're still falling down in those areas. You know, not everything that comes out of our mouths is totally pleasing to God. The truth of the matter is when you surrender your life to Christ and you become a branch in the vine, while he's producing his character fruit in you, it's not overnight. You don't become perfect overnight. You know, it's a gradual process. So on the other side of the coin, we could look at each other and to a man we could say, but we're seeing progress. I mean, our mouths are not what they used to be. They're really not. You know, the, some of the profanity and the, you know, the gossip and the other things that used to be so characteristic of our speech, God is rooting out. He's changing the way we talk. See, if you remain in the vine, the vine produces its fruit in you character, Jesus' character. Now, what, what does that look like? Has, has that happened in your life? Are you experiencing that character transformation? Maybe you could see it in the way you talk, what comes out of your mouth. There are other ways that you could see it too. Maybe you used to be very self-centered, and now suddenly you find yourself looking for ways to serve other people. Maybe in one of our ministries here at Christ Community Church. Maybe you used to be very materialistic. You know, most of your paycheck got spent on yourself or on your family, and now you're looking for ways to cut back on your spending so that you could be more generous. You can give more. You're putting money in an offering bag. You're writing checks for worthy causes. You're saying, I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay, maybe for you it's worry. You used to be a worry wart. You worried about everything, and now you're starting to pray about things, and you're chilling out. You're experiencing the peace of God where you used to be so anxious. Maybe you used to hang out exclusively with friends who look just like you. And now you find yourself welcoming people from other sorts of backgrounds and ethnicities and so on. And you're leaving some prejudices behind. You're becoming a much more welcoming, accepting person. Maybe you used to hold a good grudge when somebody wronged you, look out. They were on your blacklist forever, and now you feel uncomfortable when you hold a grudge. You want to get rid of it. You want to forgive them from your heart. And you're asking yourself, what's going on here? You know, what's behind these character transformations? Well, if you're a Christ follower, it's probably an indication that Jesus, the true vine, is starting to produce his character fruit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
character transformation. Second, second sort of fruit that the true vine produces in his branches. Good works. Good works. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a group of Christ followers in the city of Colossae. In the opening verses of that epistle, these were relatively new believers, so Paul wanted them to know, I'm praying for you guys. Now, what was Paul praying for these new Christ followers? He tells us in Colossians 1 verse 10. He says, I'm praying that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. So fruit in Colossians 1.10 is good works. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about good works in another New Testament epistle. This is Ephesians 2 verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, please understand, good works don't don't save us. But once we've surrendered our lives to Christ, we're created as new people in him, and he begins to produce in us good works. Jesus, the true vine, infuses our lives with a desire, with a determination to do good works. We start looking for opportunities to serve people. We take in a foster child. We, we, we befriend a student at school who's a bit of a loner and has no friends. We drive a neighbor to his chemo treatment at the hospital and we stay with him. We spot a coworker who is being overwhelmed at work and we come alongside of her and help her out. We rock babies in the nursery at Christ Community Church. We, we, we galvanize our community group around one of those love your neighbor projects. Uh, we, we, we find a single mom who's having a difficult time making ends meet, and we drop groceries by her home. We go on a go team trip you know, to Nicaragua. So I was talking to a, a couple in the Welcome Center just a few weeks ago, and they came in and just all smiles. They said, when we came to Christ Community Church some time ago, our lives were a mess. Our marriage was a mess. We surrendered our lives to Christ God put our marriage back together, and now they said, just be me. Now we're going on a go team trip, and we're scared stiff. (laughs) And I said, yes, way to go. You know, way to go. Jesus, the, the true vine, is producing in you good works. Now, nobody does all of the things I just mentioned to you. But if Jesus is your true vine, friend, and you're one of his branches, you can't help but engage in good works like these. You start seeing opportunities to serve that you never saw. You were kind of oblivious to them before. And and now they kind of jump out at you. Third type of fruit that Jesus produces in us, uh, gospel impact. Gospel impact. Going back to the the chapter, Colossians chapter 1, that I quoted from just a a moment ago, saying these were relatively new Christ followers. Uh, Paul says to them in the opening chapter of Colossians, he says, you know how you guys heard the good news about Jesus and you surrendered your lives to him, right? Well, guess what? That gospel is now being told by Christ followers all around the world and spiritually lost people are finding Jesus. Here's how he puts it in Colossians 1 verse 6. He says, in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So fruit 
in Colossians 1 verse 6 is gospel impact. So if you're a Christ follower and you're connected to the true vine, you will, listen, you will experience an irresistible urge to talk about Jesus. You will. Now, it doesn't mean that you won't be scared when you do it. You may be very nervous. And it doesn't mean that you'll be as articulate as you'd like to be. You'd like to be much more, you know, fluent when you talk about Jesus than you are. And it doesn't mean that everybody will listen to your message. Some people will be put off and say, hey, enough of that. But, but what it means is, again, you'll have this irresistible urge to see other people discover in Jesus what you've discovered in your own life about Jesus. And when others do respond to your good news, you know, when somebody's talking about their life and some difficult time they're going through, and you just take a deep breath and say, could I pray for you about that? And then you put a hand on their shoulder and you pray for them. Okay, when, when you see somebody at school this week or at work or in the neighborhood and you say, hey, what are you doing for Easter? You want to go to church because I got a great place to go for church on Easter. You want to come? And they say, yeah, I'll come. Okay, or when you're sitting down over coffee at your favorite coffee shop and you're talking about personal stuff and you say, let me tell you about a relationship that's changed my life and you begin to talk about the day that you surrendered your life to Christ and the difference that it's made and they respond. When you share the good news in some way, shape, or form and people respond positively, they become your fruit. Now, it's not because you're such a gifted evangelist, okay? It's because you're connected to the vine and the vine is producing his fruit in you and part of the fruit is gospel impact. You get it? Good. Good. Have you ever had that experience? You ever had gospel impact experience? It is the biggest rush in the Christian life, bar none. It is the biggest adventure of the Christian life is sharing Jesus and seeing somebody respond. I had a, a mom write to me just a couple weeks ago. And she said, uh, I came to Christ community eight years ago, surrendered my life to Christ, totally changed me. I started inviting my grown son to church. And she said this last week, this was a couple weeks ago, you preached on I am the good shepherd and my son surrendered his life to Christ. She was flying. She was flying. Yeah. Now, now, friends, sadly, there are lots and lots of Christ followers who rarely, if ever, introduce somebody else to Jesus. And so they're like grapevines without grape. Grapes, they're, they're like apple trees without apples. Like blueberry bushes without blueberries. How long can I stretch this metaphor out? You know, something unnatural is going on. It's not natural to not bear fruit if you're connected to the vine. So why are so many professing Christ followers, why are they relatively fruitless? Why are they not experiencing gospel impact? Or for that matter, not seeing as much character transformation or good works as they like to see? Takes us to the second lesson, lesson number two, from this I am the true vine statement. The challenge, the challenge. Go back to John 15. Now, when we read today's scripture, John 15, 1 to 8, we saw the word fruit pop up seven times in the passage. That means that the main emphasis of Jesus, I am the true vine declaration is he wants to produce his fruit in our lives. So what if I don't see that fruit in me? 
What if you don't see that fruit in you? What's the problem? What's the hang-up? Well, you may have noticed when I, I read the text to you, when we read it together, actually, another repeating expression in John 15, 1 to 8. If you've got your Bible open, take a look. We won't read it again. But six times in today's passage, Jesus says to his followers, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. In fact, if we kept reading down through verse 11, we would find that Jesus says, remain in me, 10 times total reiterates this challenge, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Can't miss it. I, I've got a four-year-old grandson named Cal, and Cal, Cal's newest line is, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? Okay, so we just got back from a visit to Portland this last week, and, uh, which is where Cal lives, and a hundred times a day, easily. It was, can I tell you something, Grandpa? Can I tell you something, Grandpa? And occasionally, you know, he wouldn't get through the first time. And when I finally realized Cal's talking to me, I'd say, oh, sure, Cal, what do you want to tell me? And by then, he lost his train of thought. You know, <laughs> just a foggy look on his face. But Jesus has something he wants to tell us. It's, it's a challenge. He says it again and again and again. It's remain in me, remain in me, remain in me, remain in Please note, this is not something that just happens automatically in our lives. It's something that we must choose to do. And if we don't do it, if we don't remain in Christ, then we won't see the fruit of character transformation, good works, and gospel impact. Why not? Well, because it's Jesus. It's his job to produce that fruit in us. Jesus is the vine. We're just the branches. Look again at verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, let, let me illustrate what Jesus is saying here with a different analogy, okay? Instead of talking about the need for a branch to remain in its vine, let me talk about the need for a vacuum cleaner to remain in its power source. Okay, Mr. Wizard's about to go crazy here, all right? So vacuum cleaners, little history. In the 1860s, vacuum cleaners were first created. And this was before electricity, so you know how they work? They work with bellows. You had to pump a bellows back and forth, and every time you went like this, it went, and it sucked up dirt. Now, can you imagine trying to vacuum your house, walking around and pumping bellows while you're, while you're doing this. So fortunately, by the early 1900s, electricity is now in vogue, and so there's a new design to vacuum cleaners. Now they make a fan in there, rotate very quickly, and it creates centrifugal force, which creates a, a vacuum, and it sucks stuff up. Now, unfortunately, at the beginning of the 1900s, the only people who could afford a contraption like this were very wealthy, which was, you know, they would go out and they would buy their vacuum cleaner, and then they would give it to their servant to use. <laughs> Fortunately, by the end of World War II, decades later, vacuum cleaners became affordable, and now we all own one. Some of us own two or three. We got a shop vac and a car vac and whatever. Now, now the key here is for this thing to work as it should, it's got to remain in its power source. So even if you got one that runs by battery, it's got to remain in that, ba in that power source. You with me? So, so when it remains in the power source... Look at that. Now, my wife is out of town, so don't tell her I know how to do this, okay? 
But what if? What if I remove it from its power source? Nothing. Nothing. Now, how many of you are surprised that nothing happened? How many of you are surprised that nothing happened after I pulled it out? Okay, we need to send you back to school, okay? <laughs> it's not surprising. Jesus, in John 15, he says, don't be surprised if you don't remain in the vine. Don't be surprised if you don't see fruit in your life, if this doesn't work. Okay, don't be surprised if you don't see character transformation. Don't be surprised if you don't see good works. Don't be surprised if you don't see gospel impact. You, you got to remain in the vine for that to happen. So what does it mean to remain in Jesus? How do we meet this challenge? Well, there are two basic activities that contribute to our remaining in Jesus, and they're both described in verse 7 of John 15. So let me read that verse to you again. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what are the two activities that contribute to our remaining in Jesus so that our lives will be fruitful? Let me give them to you. The first, I'm going to call Bible meditation. Bible meditation. Jesus says, if you remain in me, okay, how? And my words remain in you. Okay, now where do we find Jesus' words? Not a trick question. Call it out. The Bible. We find them right here in this book. Now, the minute we say Bible around here, I know what some of you are thinking because occasionally you'll tell me. You know, people are bold enough to say, you know, a lot of your applications come down to get into the Bible. Get into the Bible, get into the Bible. And the inference in that accusation is, you know, you kind of overdo that one, Nicodemus. And in, in a point of fact, you, you should come up with more creative, more compelling applications. And, you know, it's not just check off this little box, I read the Bible today, and then I'm good with God. Okay, so let me respond to that objection. Here it is. Get into the Bible. Okay, get, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because of what Jesus says about being the true vine here. If my words remain in you, if you get into the Bible and my words remain in you, then you will remain in me. And if you remain in me, then I will produce fruit in your life. There will be character transformation. There will be good works. There will be gospel impact. If you don't allow my word to get into you, if you don't, don't have my words remain in, in you, then you won't remain in me and I won't produce I'll be unable to produce fruit in your life like character transformation and good works and gospel impact. It's that simple. And, and, and by the way, you know, this is, not a, this is not a superficial, this is not a reductionistic sort of application. When, when, I, when I talk about getting into the Bible, a couple weeks ago I used the word meditation, and I said meditation goes beyond just reading. Yes, you need to pick up a reading schedule, and you need to follow it every day and read, but it doesn't stop there. You meditate on Scripture. You chew on it till you come away with an insight for your life for that day. This is how I'm going to put it into practice. And then you write it down. You get yourself a notebook. You get yourself a Bible-savvy journal, and you write it down not only so that you'll remember it, so that you can look back and say, did I do this? Did I walk in obedience to what God told me to do? That's the game, obedience. 
In fact, keep reading sometime. Go home and read the rest of John chapter 15. It's all about obeying God. Obeying God. So this is, this is a big deal. Make no apologies for it. I will continue to say repeatedly, get into the Bible. Get, and if you're not a Bible reader yet, let me encourage you. This is a great time to jump into the Bible Savvy Journal because we're just starting two new books. We're doing two books at once. We're starting Isaiah and Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We realized if we just took you through Isaiah, some of it's heavier slogging and you might decide to quit. So every other week, we've worked in the Gospel of Luke, giving you something easy to apply to your life. And if you've got children, not only pick up a Bible-savvy journal for yourself, pick one up for your kids, an epic journal. And if you can get to one of our, our, our three, three out of our four campuses, run an epic program on Wednesday night. Don't cheat your kids out of the Bible input they get if you bring them to Epic. Get into the Bible. Now, what's the second activity that contributes to our remaining in Jesus so that our lives will be fruitful? Prayer. Prayer. Go back to verse 7. If you remain in me, Jesus says, and my words remain in you, that's Bible meditation, ask whatever you wish. That's prayer. That's prayer. Jesus is saying, talk to me. You know, tell me what's on your heart. I want to hear about your needs. I want to hear about your anxieties. I want to hear about your disappointments, your hurts, your, your struggles. And th this kind of praying, friends, it can't be done on the run. Now, there is a, there is a place for quickie prayers on the run, but, but I'm talking now about the, the kind of prayer that takes time daily. See, th this is, is the challenge, but we can't remain in Jesus without doing it. We can't remain in Jesus without doing it. Sue and I love hanging out together. I love having long conversations with my wife. You know, but every once in a while, because of the busyness of our lives, we start living on really short exchanges. You get, you get these, those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so it comes down to, you know, did you feed the dog? Uh, the dishes in the dishwasher are clean. What's for dinner? There's a new Marco Polo from the kids. Have you seen my cell phone? I got to work late tomorrow. Did you put the taxes in the mail? Now I got some of you thinking because <laughs> taxes, oh, I had to say that now. Now, most of these brief exchanges are really important, but they don't contribute a whole lot to a robust relationship, to an intimacy. Sue and I are not remaining in each other when we talk like that, and that's it. See, it requires longer conversations while we sit on our front porch together or we go for a walk together or we go visit our favorite coffee shop together and look at each other across a table and talk. Those of you who are parents of young kids, you especially know what I'm talking about. If you miss out on this, well, it works the same way in our relationship with the Lord, friends. If, if busyness reduces our conversation with God to brief exchanges, we won't remain in Jesus. And so Jesus won't be able to produce in us the fruit of character transformation and good works and, and gospel impact. So let me ask you, are you carving out time for prayer every day? Every day. By the way, if you could use a boost in this regard, if you, you, you could use some inspiration, get fired up in your prayer life, the best book I know out there is written by a little-known pastor called Prayer Coach, and I wrote it just for you. So, and you know what? 
We actually bought the rights of this book after it was published for a year, a few years so that we could offer it to you at a greatly reduced rate because we think it's so important that we get Christ followers praying. So if you've you not read it, not put it into practice, not used it as a group curriculum, I encourage you to pick up a copy. Number three, third lesson, the warning. Let's go back to the opening verses of John 15 and uh, let me read to you one more time the opening verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Uh, I have a good friend who's a landscaper, and uh, years ago, we were living in a a different home at the time, Uh, I happened to mention to him one day, I said, you know, I've got a, a back hedge back in my lawn, it looks kind of dead, looks pretty dried up, and I suppose someday I'm going to have to replace it. And I just, it was a passing comment. I thought nothing of the conversation. And about a week or two later, Sue and I went out of town with our kids, and we were gone for a few days. And when we came back into town, it was late at night, and our kids were little at the time, and so we were carrying them one at a time from the car up to the bed. And I happened to look out the kitchen window at my back lawn, and I was shocked. A massacre had taken place in my backyard. There were like 10 to 12 bodies back there. And I'm looking, it's like apocalyptic what has gone on. And I, I look more closely, and I see, oh, no, my landscaper friend has come by in my absence. And he wrapped up every bush, and then he cut it off, and he left me to clean the whole mess up. <laughs> Landscapers, they don't mess around with dead stuff. You know, it's gone. N- neither does God, according to Jesus in John chapter 15. Je- Je- Jesus' warning, here, here it is. God the gardener cuts off dead branches that don't produce any fruit. God the gardener cuts off dead branches that don't produce any fruit. Jesus is talking about people who claim to be Christ followers. Listen. Who claim to be Christ followers, but their lives don't evidence the fruitfulness of a genuine relationship with Jesus, which should be producing character transformation and good works and gospel impact. No fruit. And no fruit is an indication of no real relationship with Christ, and that is serious business. You know, to to be cut off by God and thrown into the fire, as Jesus warns us here in John 15, is to forfeit eternal life. Now, the apostle John, who wrote these words in the gospel of John, he also wrote something similar in his first epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. He says, now God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Now listen, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So it's critical to know that you have Jesus. Do you have Jesus? Are you sure that you have Jesus? Because the telltale sign, according to John, is fruit. Now, I, I, you know, I'm not suggesting here, please understand, I'm not suggesting that we have to earn our salvation by making an effort to produce fruit. No, salvation comes by faith in Christ. Salvation comes by surrendering our lives to Jesus. Jesus saves us. We don't save ourselves. 
Surrendering to Christ means coming to the point in your life where you say, Jesus, I recognize that my sin has separated me from a holy God. And I recognize that you died on the cross to take the penalty, death, that my sin deserves. And you now offer me forgiveness and, and eternal life. And that's what I want. And you put your trust in him. So Jesus saves us. We don't save ourselves. However, don't miss this. If we're truly surrendered to Christ, that will be evident by the fruit that Jesus is now producing in our lives. And if we don't see fruit, if you don't see fruit in your life like we've been describing here today, please, please sincerely surrender to Jesus. Because one day, dead branches will be cut off. Dead branches will be cut off. You've got Jesus' word on that. What about healthy branches? What about fruitful branches? Well, Jesus has a warning of sorts for these people as well. It's not a severe warning like the warning to those who are dead branches. It's, it's more like a, a loving reminder. And here it is. Healthy branches will be pruned. Healthy branches will be pruned. What does this mean? Well, it means that just because you surrendered your life to Jesus and you're actually remaining in him through Bible meditation and prayer and your life is producing fruit, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be automatically easy. In fact, God may still allow pain in your life, difficult circumstances, hardships. And you say, why, why, why would God punish me for no good reason? Well, first of all, let me say it's not punishment, it's pruning, <laughs> And, and secondly, it's not for no good reason. It's for the very good reason that your life will be even more fruitful. My friend, the landscaper, the, the dude is a crazy pruner. I mean, he's just nuts about pruning. His wife told me on one occasion, she said, you know, when my husband and I take a walk through the neighborhood at night, he carries pruning shears in his back pocket. <laughs> you know, if he sees some plant, some bush by the side of the sidewalk, people he doesn't know. You know, he will, he will prune that for them. And I said, you know, there's probably a recovery group for people like that. <laughs> so you can't keep a gardener, you can't keep a landscaper from pruning. Why? Not to harm anything. Because he wants to see growth, because he wants to see even more fruitfulness. Why would God prune you? Why would God allow difficult circumstances in your life? Because he wants to cut out stuff that will make you even grow even more. More character transformation. More good works. More gospel impact. That's his desire for you. So if you're going through difficult times today, please take heart. Please be hopeful. Please don't think that God is doing it because he doesn't care or because he's ignoring your cause. He's doing it because he loves you and God the gardener wants you to be even more fruitful. Isn't that good news? Yes. So here's, here's the promise. Okay, the promise is God wants you to be fruitful. Character transformation, good works, gospel impact. The challenge is you got to remain in him. Okay, we're talking Bible meditation, we're talking prayer. If these disciplines aren't cooking in your life, start to give them some attention. And, and then lastly, here's the warning. If you don't see fruit in your life, it may be because you're a dead branch. You're not connected to the vine. Please, today, surrender your life to Christ. Say, I want to be all in. I want to be connected to the vine. I want your fruit produced in me. 
We'll do that in prayer in, j in just a moment. And if you're a fruitful vine who's going through difficult times right now, take heart. Jesus loves you, and he wants you to be even more fruitful. Now, before I pray, I want to say one, one closing thing about something that's coming up this next week during Holy Week. We're doing something we've never done before, and we're doing it uh, only at the St. Charles campus, but we're inviting all other campuses to participate. So if you're watching uh, at one of the other campuses, this is for you as well. On Thursday and Friday of this Holy Week, uh, we're offering in the chapel at the St. Charles campus the Stations of the Cross. Now, what this is, it's, it's four, 14 artistic renditions of what happened in Jesus' life as he marched toward the cross. So we will provide a devotional guide, and it's a meditative experience. So you'll come in and just spend some time in prayer and some time letting it sink in what Jesus went through for you. It's going to make your weekend next weekend much more memorable, much more moving if you'll take the time to do this. The other service we're offering is that the pastors on our staff and the elders on our team are offering to hear your confession of sins so they could pray for you. You say, oh, wait a second, isn't this, you know, someone said to me this last week, isn't this like Catholic and you got to have a priest? No, it's James 5 verse 16 where James says, confess your, your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. There's benefit when it comes to airing stuff we're struggling with with some other Christ follower, especially someone in leadership, pastoral leadership, and letting them pray for us. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to somebody and going to ask him to pray for me, areas that are the areas of struggle for me. So I invite you to consider it. And then if you're coming from another campus, by all means, go back to your campus Friday night and celebrate Good Friday because every one of your campus pastors has got a great sermon prepared for that Good Friday service. Let me pray. Bow your heads with me. Oh, Lord God, we are so grateful that you are the true vine and you give your life to us. And I pray for those who in the stillness of their own hearts right now recognize, I think I'm a dead branch because I don't see that fruit. And I pray that you would lead them in humility to say to you right now, I surrender. I surrender. I don't want to be disconnected from you. I want to learn what it means for me to live in you and for you to live in me. I want to learn my way around your word. I want to learn how to pray. And then if you're a Christ follower, and you've been neglecting the spiritual disciplines of Bible meditation or prayer, would you right now in your heart say, oh God, help me to become a student of your word, a lover of scripture. Help me to come, become a prayer warrior, God. Help me to start carving out time in my daily schedule to make this happen. And then God, for those who are suffering right now and saying, God, where are you? Would you bring the confidence that you love us dearly and your desire is only to prune us so that we'll be even more pruneful, uh, fruitful. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.